This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone, here and around the world. Two weeks ago, on October 26th, I received by Proton Mail a letter that I am going to quote from repeatedly with the source's permission. The Proton Mail begins, quote, I am a retired DOD analyst, and in my job, I worked with a group of other analysts who made recommendations to senior staff within the Joint Special Operations Command, or JSOC, in the Special Access Program Group 38, also known as Group 38-DOD. Today, those Form 38s go directly to Brigadier General Dennis Bightwood. He is on the advisory committee to a different unit called MAGIC that is responsible to advise the executive branch of the United States government and the United Kingdom. Most of the information in the reports that we receive come from keyhole assets in space and sometimes further out in different sensor systems on geostationary satellites associated to other planets in our own solar system and outside our solar system, close quote. This is now my side note. Keyhole assets in space usually refer to satellites that are mainly used for military reconnaissance, and such satellites have been orbiting the Earth for at least 30 years, especially to take overhead photos for military missions. Now I'm returning to the DOD analyst Proton Mail. Quote, the magic classified photo here was taken on the 8th of July, 1947. It is the Corona New Mexico UFO pod that came down intact. This is the craft that went to Wright-Patterson and the technical group could not get into or cut into the hull of this craft. Everything imaginable was used and the hull was not breached until 1972 when high-powered CO2 lasers were available. The two recovered bodies were taken to Los Alamos for autopsy. The alien body that Lieutenant Colonel Corso referred to in his book, The Day After Roswell, was originally at Fort Riley, Kansas. All recovered remains are cryogenically stored at Los Alamos even to this day. I've seen different dates associated with the Fort Riley cadaver, but I myself am not sure which date is accurate. Most of the information that concerns the tall white group of individuals comes from Creech Air Base at Indian Springs, Nevada, 44 miles northwest of Las Vegas, with the Nellis Air Force Range and Nevada test site to the northwest. Our military has an extensive network of safe havens in that Creech Air Force Base area that allow that group of tall whites to operate safely and effectively without any restrictions or limitations. 
The Creech Air Base underground for tall whites is highly guarded and has many sensor arrays in that area to keep prying eyes away. This Creech group of tall whites has worked and still does work with our U.S. military intelligence to find technology that we use in certain space exploration projects. The group you call Nordic are all Scandinavian-looking with a high cheekbones, thin faces, very human-looking, except for the eye color and the shape of the orbital sockets of the eyes, which tend to stretch the outer eye tips back a little, almost like a Chinese person, but not quite. This group of Nordic individuals work mostly in our JSOC program in providing intelligence and information that could be useful in defense against a threat from outside our airspace. So they are more like a military police unit, I guess, than is a better description of what those Nordic ETs do. The Nordics and tall whites help protect us from the insect group that you, Linda, have described and said are called trontoloids, which is a very different type of intelligent entities than any other group we have encountered." Close quote. The source is referring to my reporting several times at the Earth Files YouTube channel and in conferences about the Serpo document transcript of President Ronald Reagan being briefed at Camp David by his CIA director, William Casey, shown here on the left, and other intelligence analysts on March 6 to 8, 1981. One surprising subject in that March 6 to 8, 1981 briefing for President Reagan was about an extraterrestrial threat from a very advanced insect life form called trinoloids from the Epsilon Eridani solar system only 10.5 light years from Earth. A couple of years ago, I learned that the name Tronoloid was given by biochemist Emmett Chappelle in NASA Goddard, who focused on research about luminescence and bioluminescence, that is glowing light without heat. Allegedly, the Tronoloid insects manipulate luminescence to camouflage their bodies. Now, returning to the recent proton mail, quote, Linda, you are correct that the insects do originate from Epsilon Eridani, 10.5 light years from Earth. The insects have colonized other planets and devastated other populations completely. They are extremely dangerous and have developed a very high level of science and physics. There is a program in place since 1974 to develop the resources and knowledge necessary to fend off any threats from them. The group you call Nordic has been dealing with them for longer than we have even known about them. The Proton mail source also says, quote, The Solar Warden spacecraft are all involved with the TRAPPIST-1 solar system that is 40 light years from Earth. The TRAPPIST solar system has at least one planet designated E that has humanoids who look very similar to Earth humans. The USS Helen Ketter and the USS Vandenberg are stationed in that TRAPPIST system as, quote, downward mobility stations, close quote, 
to facilitate cargo and limited access for scientific research teams to interact with a small group of humanoids on the TRAPPIST-E planet that have agreed to work with us to better understand their culture and population. These individuals look almost like us, and JSOC members are determined to understand our history and relationship to them. Did they come from us or did we come from them? The Space Forces USS Curtis LeMay currently is in orbit over Jupiter's large moon, Ganymede. A side note from me, I was told a couple of years ago by another military aerospace source that Jupiter's huge moon, Ganymede, the largest in our whole solar system at 3,270 miles in diameter, contains a base for the tall whites who are friendly to Earth and want to see humans survive. Now, returning to the proton mail source. Quote, there is a total of five different types of culture or EBA types involved with the process of human evolution and development. Three of those five are the core of our human DNA evolution. Just like we manage and develop a wildlife population in a wildlife management area to insert a certain genetic diversity and then move particular genetic specimens to other locations to start the process all over anew, that would be an accurate representation of human evolution. The tall white culture are very old extraterrestrial biological entities. Estimates and statistics from various sources put their existence at their level of sophistication in science and engineering at around 2.8 billion years. Based on pretty reliable sources, our understanding is that the tall whites started us with genetic manipulation approximately 275 to 278 million years ago from a dwarf primate specimen that looked more like a lemur than a distant primate cousin. Supposedly, the tall whites have been doing this same thing throughout various galaxies and star structures for longer than we know. We at JSOC Group 38, based at Fort Liberty, North Carolina, which was once Fort Bragg, JSOC is both heavily involved with the tall whites in different operations in space and in the oceans here on Earth. The only reason that the tall whites have a heavy presence in our space program is strictly for keeping us out of harm's way. So it is strictly a national security policy to keep this out of the limelight. It's really to our benefit to build a reliable understanding of the dynamics that are going on around the extraterrestrial biological entity issue. Linda, as to your question about harvesting genetic material from bovine sources and all the work you have done there, you ask me, quote, which ET group most needs the harvest of sperm, eggs, tissues, and fluids from Earth-based animal life and human abductees? And why Earth? This is what I know. Animal mutilations are done by what people call a gray-type EBA. 
Gray Ebens, Eben is an acronym for Extraterrestrial Biological Entities. Gray Ebens are not purely biological, but are a grown carrier or shell to inhabit in order to interact in this physical world environment on Earth. It's important to understand that the Gray Ebens do not come from what I call our time and space, but from a different time and space that you could say is very close and tangled up with our time and space. Some in our JSOC work say that the Gray Ebens time and space run parallel alongside of our reality. But make no mistake, it is a real physical reality, just as ours is. We study them as a programmed biological entity. They are not in the same time-space form here that they are back in their natural habitat in another what might be called dimension. The actual progenitor grays do not look like the gray biological entities. You're looking at one of the progenitors here that has been sketched here on Earth for decades. In their original form, they resemble a human being, but the original skin texture is different and they have a reddish orangish hue to the skin color, which is in this illustration. The progenitor grays create or grow in containers, what the Ebens call a shell or container body of sorts to facilitate their ability to move or travel from their space-time reality to our space-time reality. That might sound like science fiction, but it is the way the Ebens have to do it in order to come here into our space-time reality. The Ebens are neither good nor bad, but more just curious about our culture and how things work in our reality. They are not the bad guys by any means in the whole UFO issue. We have interacted with them on an extremely limited basis. We did allow the return of a deceased member of their kind from a crash recovery in the late 1940s. We had limited contact with crude equipment with this culture early on but still managed to improve it significantly since that first crash incident occurred. Earth's largest particle physics accelerator, CERN, in Geneva, Switzerland, is engaged in trying to understand this other dimensional reality of the Gray Ebens. We have not had any help from the Gray culture in understanding their environment or their ability of travel between the two realities of theirs and ours. It is hard to wrap your head around the fact that they come from a parallel dimension and can travel back and forth between their physical reality and ours. And what is so crazy is that they make this weird looking gray colored body type of an EBA with big black slanted eyes when in fact that's not what they look like at all. The Ebens say it's the only way they have found to come into our reality of time and space to explore our parallel dimension and understand it better. Close quote from retired DOD analyst from Joint Special Operations Command, J.
JSOC in the Special Access Program, Group 38, slash DOD. And I am so glad that I have been able to share this fascinating communication to me from someone who said, I give you permission after I had quote unquote proved to them that I was not going to reveal who they were on other previous communications. And that they feel like I do, frustrated, that we are already out in other solar systems with the help of the tall whites and the Nordics. And that we have this go, stop, go, stop, go back and reverse in our own congressional uh, delegations <clears throat> who, in a government of, by, and for the people, we should be able to have hearings about all of this information. And it might actually improve humanity on this poor, struggling planet. So I'm very interested in whether or not in our audience tonight that there might be others who have firsthand information, whether it's through military, science, medicine, aerospace, of how much of what this JSOC retiree is reporting that you also know about. It certainly resonates with the aerospace uh, source that I had uh, many great details, some similar to this, uh, starting almost three years ago. And it may be, as some of them have said to me, they are very frust frustrated themselves that we still do not have that huge headline around the world, that in a strange way in my own mind now is becoming a metaphor for a kind of freedom. Why should reality be classified, even if there are dangerous insects and uh, the trinoloid insects, if the uh, genius tall whites working with some Nordics uh, know how to contain it, why can't we be introduced to them and taught in some way as a civilization? And this, if I could say, has a segue, a cross segue, to the show last week uh, with the truck driver, uh, Joe, in Michigan, and his encounter with something of a huge uh, nature that falls into the wolfman, dogman, werewolf sort of category that has been reported in various ways for centuries uh, that I've reported about before. But what was interesting is that there can be a lot of you who might say, oh, it's just fairy tales and fantasy and there's none of these standing up dogs or anything. And I received a fascinating email from, uh, I think that I'm just going to, at this point, because I don't know if giving out people's uh, locator uh, whether it's Twitter or someplace. So I'm just going to say that I have um, a, this is a comment that Ian forwarded to me. And Ian is not here because he's uh, at, in Las Vegas at uh, the, uh, uh, the Egyptian, uh, uh, what is it, the, the fast, 
uh, dis, what is the name of Jimmy Church? <laughs> At the Luxor, yeah, and they're having the conference there. And I'm here because my uh, brother has uh, been having health issues. And uh, so we split tonight. And Disclosure Fest, Disclosure Fest, forgive me, Disclosure Fest. And Ian is there, and he will be bringing back more information next week. But Ian sent this to me. Quote, I believe this guy 1,000%. I've been on that stretch of Route 10 out of Reed City, Michigan, and going into Baldwin, Michigan, too many times to count. My dad bought and moved into a home in Baldwin some 40 years ago, and the three nights we were camping there, I was absolutely terrified. Could not sleep a wink. I was 18 at the time, and the feeling never leaves me any time I go to visit my dad. There is a palpable fear in that entire Manistee Forest region of Baldwin, Walhalla, Idlewild, Reed City, White Cloud, and he mentions a family friend who went missing at the back of his father's property and was found strangely deceased, not to mention all of the other unexplained disappearances in that area over the past 100 years that are known. We've had hunting guests leave in the middle of the night in their campers out of sheer fright. My dad does not feel it, but some of us do, and many strange occurrences here which I, uh, as a, know that this trucker is telling the truth. And it is interesting, over all of these uh, 44 years of my starting out with trying to get to the bottom of the animal mutilation phenomena, of how many times you are, will be talking with someone and they will say, I was walking out in my field and I suddenly, I was overcome with fear and went back to the house and and that night they see a beam of light, or the next day they find a mutilated animal, or in this case is the, uh, for those who didn't see the uh, last program, I recommend it because it is fascinating that the dog man is probably associated with, also with Sasquatch. Uh, it goes back centuries and centuries and drawings go back centuries and centuries. And it seems like that if you juxtapose uh, a world today where we are still struggling, even though we are out in space, uh, we still are not getting confirmation even about um, that UFOs and beams of light are from other intelligences. And when it comes to the what the the program last week, that has been one of those more mysterious, common, associated with people saying that they felt fear. Uh, Paul Sinclair, in his uh, documentary uh, about the work in England, so many of those men out what they were doing, they would feel overcome with fear. And that is as if there is this uh, protector inside of us, soul, um, our intuition, our brain, where we pick up on things. So now, 
because tonight we don't have dear Ian to interface with you guys coming out of the chat, uh, I have some more questions that everybody has uh, given me. And one of them that I wanted to share was, quote, has there ever been any detailed information on what the planets are like where the tall whites or Nordics or any of the other beings are from? I can't think of anything more interesting than learning about how a society is on another planet. I could not agree more. I remember long ago meeting Whitley Strieber when communion, he was still finishing it, <clears throat> and we were talking uh, together about me, animal mutilations, what he had experienced. And he was talking about how that he had, whether it was in dreams, whether it was movies that were put in his head, that he had carried a kind of impression that he had been on the planet physically, or they had taken him in some out-of-body way, and that he remembered, whether it was around Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, it's not exactly firm, but I think that that was the general solar system, that there, it reminded him of southwest deserts in the United States, and that there was e were even structures that he, in his mind, associated with living structures that reminded him of adobe houses. And when we were talking about this, it was, well, how strange that where we had never been introduced officially by any government entity uh, to any kind of knowledge about other beings in other solar systems, that there was something about the idea that there could be this planetary solar system in Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2 or that area, and us in our solar system, in which there might be somewhat similar climates periodically, and that we would find echoes of what we knew about some things on Earth other places. And when Whitley signed his book, Communion, to me uh, long ago, in, that was back in uh, 1987, he said, quote, fellow traveler between the worlds, and today I think that we would both add between dimensions. And that this information from the JSOC analyst, that we are, that they are, that they know that we are dealing with parallel frequencies, other dimensional frequencies, it, it expands how complex and incredible everything is. And as she said, I would love to know what all the systems are like and be able to explore and report on, you know, cosmic news <laughs> forever. Now, this was an interesting uh, throwback. I never had any first-hand uh, knowledge and about this subject 
and but this is very interesting to bring up because I get this uh, at conferences. Linda, may I ask why you never mention anything concerning the Billy Meyer case and contact notes? Go back to September of 1979, and I'm starting to work on what became my documentary, A Strange Harvest. And I met uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle at the University of Wyoming, who was director of counseling and testing there. And he had been talking with Jacques Vallée about the Billy Meyer case and about a case that he had in Wyoming of a man who seemed to be going out of body. And they had discussed, and I end up talking with Dr. Sprinkle as well. And that's how I came to talk with Jacques Vallée specifically about animal mutilations, which Jacques had done some investigations uh, before I even knew about the subject. But he also said that that summer of 1979, that he had been to Billy Meyer's home and that he had looked at the uh, eight millimeter film and photos and that Jacques said that he walked around all of the landscapes that were in photos and in the films. And he said they all matched everything. It wasn't made up. And he said, I think there is something very legitimate in this investigation of what is happening between Billy Meyer and beings in Silvercraft, and they coming in and out as if they would come through some, we'll call it a frequency, and leave in a frequency. And that they demonstrated for Billy Meyer that they had some manipulation and control over timelines, or that they could focus a, a something very ancient and have him experience it again, as if they have control in some way that we humans don't understand about time and timelines. So that was a reinforcement for me from Jacques Vallée. And I have both of the uh, books with the color photos of the Billy Meyer case that I got back there because of the discussion with Jacques. And they are fascinating photos. And if Today, if you are, have not seen, uh, do a search and see if the Billy Meyer, they're square, they're square books with photos and a story. It might be something that would be refreshing to see today of what he was reporting so long ago, but he was hammered with criticism from all directions, that none of this could be true. And today, in 2023, look at every time that somebody steps out to try to bring a little bit more information, uh, they get slammed down. And uh, by now, I would have thought that we would have had more House subcommittee hearings through uh, Congressman Burchett and others as we had that one back in the summer. And it seems as if uh, Sean Kirkpatrick with Arrow and the Pentagon has some control uh, over saying that 
there is no evidence of anything extraterrestrial. Well, I assume he's being paid to say that. But it's like we go forward two steps and then we go back six steps. So being able to uh, continue to have people come forward like the JSOC analyst and give me information that I can share with you, I think is valuable. And of course, the, what I prefer is when it's in the category of the person themselves on the record with all of their background and face and voice. And it's sad that we still are in a time where so many people are afraid to go on the record. And that's why I'm in, in between you and them, uh, that I know that all of it can be attacked until it's officially rein reinforced with headlines and the government saying, yes, this is true, and here are the reasons why we haven't told you for uh, 80 years, and all of that still has to happen. Meanwhile, there's just blocks again in so many directions. Now, here is another question. I have brought up the Defense Intelligence Agency analyst, like these that have come from JSOC and other places, uh, back in December of uh, 1999, I ended up in a meeting that I've mentioned, and I won't go into all the details. It was a man from the World Bank who set up a meeting between me and a man who was retiring from the Defense Intelligence Agency, where his job, he said, for 23 years was to monitor and analyze the conflicts and the communications and the actions of three competing extraterrestrial civilizations on our planet and in our solar system and beyond. And that's what he said in conflict. Now he designated them back in 1999 as blonde Nordics, reptilians, that would be like standing up alligators or reptiles, and greys. Those were the three that he said were competing. Today, at least, the nuances about those three categories do break down into many, many, many other subcategories. But for the sake of trying to at least push forward with some more information, instead of getting bogged down always in arguments about, well, what did they mean? That DIA retiring analyst told me in December of 1999 that in his work, he was operating under the knowledge and said it was real knowledge, and the implication was communicating with ETs, that 200, he said approximately 270 million years ago, the aerospace source that I have had for about three years told me that the number was 278 million refined was when there was this, these three and this huge competition. And when I said to him, well, what was it 
that brought these three into conflict 270-some million years ago. And he said, it's too dangerous to talk about for both you and me. And one of the questioners in this past week said, what happened 278 million years ago? Why would it be dangerous to you or the person working for the DIA to talk about geophysical events that would be affecting the Earth and extraterrestrials here 278 million years ago? And the interesting answer is, I still, to this day, and talking to other sources, there is something that is especially sensitive about that time. But go to any search engine and type in, uh, you can type in uh, climate change or you can type in uh, violent event or something like that on Earth 270 eight million years ago, or 70 million, or 70, in that, that range. And it's fascinating to read, and it definitely was somewhere in a time when there was and were, uh, when you go into extinction events. But I still can't see the specific details or understand what they would be that would be dangerous to talk about in 2023. Now, some people might say, well, that's ironic, Linda, because there is, is currently information that is being printed and sent around in emails and books about this decade of 2020 to 2030. And one of the most recent paragraphs that I have read about this solar flash that our government and scientists know that periodically that there are these, we'll call them huge energy bursts or hiccups out of the sun and that maybe it is in a cycle that it will happen. And the year now that is most commonly being described is between 2024 and 2030 or 2034. Well, we're right in there. You would think that if that information that is passed around without running into uh, mud balls being thrown at it, you would think that this would be then a reason for the whole planet to be educated by all governments, all scientists, everybody who has actual knowledge about what a solar event that could hurt the earth, what is it, why, what could be done? Can you take the surface of eight billion and put them inside of the earth to get through it? Uh, and I suppose the answer would automatically be no, so don't tell anybody. But I'm trying to make a point that in terms of evolutionary knowledge about what has actually happened on planet earth between competing extraterrestrial civilizations who have fought each other, John Brandenburg and I were just talking a couple of nights ago. He's presented his paper about the evidence of two hydrogen bombs exploding over the Cydonia region in the northern hemisphere of Mars. He's just presented that paper again. It's going to be uh, published in a prestigious science journal. 
if there's physical evidence of two hydrogen bombs exploding over the northern hemisphere of Mars and all of the translations about the Anunnaki and the violence that they had between their factions and looking at humans today, more wars, maybe those that have genetically manipulated DNA and already evolving primates to create Homo sapien have got genetic sequences in their experiment that reflect their own genes and maybe as above so below maybe we and our aggressions are a reflection of the extraterrestrials who have manipulated DNA and already evolving primates like that lemur looking animal I showed earlier and we are the current version bypassing Neanderthalensis and Denisovan and all of those back to Homo erectus. And I think, <laughs> you tell me, I'd be very interested because Ian isn't here, don't stop sending your questions and comments and anything that you know or agree or whatever. It, it just seems that there's never been a time except maybe World War II that the DIA analyst told me in December of 1999, Linda, World War II was an extraterrestrial war fought through human bodies. Is that what is happening here now again? If we just had more education instead of reality always being classified. Okay, I wish I could pick up a phone and but I'm, what I'm going to do now is, here is a very interesting question that Ian sent, and I'm going to share it with you with the idea that if any of you have any information about this, please let me know, because I think it is a fascinating question. Did President Ronald Reagan discuss the extraterrestrial situation with Mrs. Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of England, the UK. I've heard all kinds of, uh, well, I guess we'd say, secrets about the UK and the United States and, the, and Australia and New Zealand and Canada having all kinds of secret meetings and agreements about ETs. It would be fascinating to know if Mrs. Thatcher ever left any kind of a document, a letter, anything in talking with Ronald Reagan, because they could have talked absolutely straightforwardly with each other. So if anybody knows, or you're in England and you, you know where there's a secret letter, <laughs> let us know at Earth Files. Now, Here's another interesting question. Linda, you are trying to fight with truth. And while we are fighting for the truth, what if the truth is too dense 
too hard for us to be able to handle it as humans. And she does go right to the core of one of the questions that I think also opens up why our government at least has felt that it couldn't possibly open up all of this because it would be in conflict with too much history, too much, many facets of religion, and on and on and on. And as I read this heartfelt question, what came into my mind was that extraordinary event that happened to me when I was 21 years old in Idaho. And I have mentioned it before, so I will just do a short version, that I was uh, getting ready my body physically to be in the Miss America pageant for scholarship money. And it had been my father's suggestion that I enter for college uh, money because he worked for the state, didn't make much money, but he loved his work, thank God. And um, I had won Miss Boise, won Miss Idaho, and the next step would be Atlantic City, walking the long ramps and evening gowns and swimming suits and doing talent and all of that. And I asked my dad if he could take me, my brother, and a cousin up into the backcountry on Johnson Creek, it's called, in Idaho, where there was an airstrip that had bathrooms uh, and, uh, and a pit where we could have a fire. And I would climb this mountain. There was an airstrip, and I'd run around the airstrip, and then I would climb this mountain. It was the top of one of the mountains in that Salmon River country, Sawtooth. I, and I don't mean I'm going from uh, 2,000 to 14,000. I don't mean that. But it was one of the lower mountains that would give me uh, quite a nice vertical to go up and down. And I was doing it morning and afternoon. And I would had probably done this. We'd probably been there for about five or six or seven days. So I had been doing this, and I was in that rhythm that you get into when you have a goal that you want and you want your body to make it. And the first thing that I noticed that brought my attention was something glowing where I would come to the top usually, pace jumping up and down for a little bit and then start back down. There was a light. I mean, I'd already been up and down there many times and there was no electricity, There's, you're just in backcountry. So what is this orange light? And as I approached, I didn't feel any fear at all. I felt curiosity. And as I came up to the, these trees, it was small, and my attention was drawn somehow to my left. And then there were huge beams of the same orange light that were coming down through these big ponderosa trees. And then I don't remember why or how, but the next thing is I'm moving now toward these big orange lights and everything is like in slow, slow motion, 96 frames instead of 24. And I have no uh, memory except getting close with my hand to this orange light. And then as my 
like I'm going to touch it. I want, I want to feel what it's like to feel this orange light. I'm back down on the path, way far down below where I started. And as I looked around me, I could see my brother had started a fire, my cousin was there, and everything had scintillation to it, sparking. All of the flowers looked like orchid light, sparking. There were a couple of stars, it was because it was late afternoon, and they were pulsing light. And I looked back in the mountain where I had just been, not understanding anything that had happened. And it was like Van Gogh's paintings with the energy doing this. The whole mountain had that energy. Like I was now seeing exactly what Van Gogh had painted in his paintings. And then I felt this warm jello. That's the only description. I felt it also in crop circles. It's, it's happened to me in crop circles, the same warm jello. But this was the first in my life. And it, the warm jello lifted my hands and brought them together in front of me. And then this thought voice, not exactly female and not exactly male, a very neutral, beautiful thought voice. You are one with the light. The light is one with you, and you are in the hands of God forever. And then the warm jello let my hands down, and I have never been the same from that moment. It was an entire evolutionary, revolutionary, it grounded me in something in such a profound way that it has, I think, been one of the reasons why I have been able to persist in a subject for 44 years trying to understand what the truth is. And tonight, November 8th, 2023, with wars and dangers and prophecies and everything else in front of us that I have never been so excited to want to know what all of the truths are and that why I shared the JSOC information to me when it would be so much better if I had that person on the record with their name, their face, and that we were in a world where we could talk about the truth of us in relationship to other dimensions, other timelines, other parallel universes. Why are we in a holographic universe if that is what this is? And more and more physicists think we're in a hologram. And if we are in a hologram, it's being projected by another source another intelligence, another layer of frequency, another dimension. And if that is the biggest picture, why? Why is that happening? Doesn't that make you feel excited about wanting to know what the truths are? 
doesn't it make you feel like that we should be on a planet where if we've got starships, the Helen Ketter and the Vandenberg and the LeMay out there, well, what could be more exciting than having the whole planet be involved in what is being learned and that there may actually be tall whites with a 2.8 billion year history of evolution and that they can handle pretty much anything and that they are helping us. That's what everybody says, they're helping us. Well, why can't we be introduced and be introduced to those that are helping us? It doesn't mean that we're going to be overwhelming them. It would be a new level of perhaps they're very much involved with us, the, the genetic manipulation, like I've read in those documents. Extraterrestrials manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapiens. And I have uh, several, we'll say letters, not official documents, but material that I have collected over the 44 years that are various testimonies or here is a document that is talking about the manipulation of DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapiens. Sapien. Why should this not be shared? So that's what excites me. And I bring to you tonight what I thought was an, a fascinating communication, wishing that I could prove everything, have all of us in one huge stadium with all of the people who have firsthand knowledge being able to share firsthand and showing all of their IDs, all of the things that I think this whole world needs. Meaning we need legitimate, backed up, proven information about all of these other intelligences and what we know about this universe that has not been shared with humanity allegedly <clears throat> because there are too many different religions, too many different political factions. The list goes on for the reason why no humans cannot be told the truth. If you agree with me that humans can be told the truth, that you can put your hands together in front of you, say, you are one with the light. The light is one with you and you're in the hands of God forever with no argument about three letters. That there is an infinity, a source infinity, that, that it is in all universes, that it is in all dimensions. That when Roger Penrose said to me, no, Linda, it isn't a singularity. It's an infinity of cycles of time. These are almost impossible for our human minds to grasp and comprehend. But if that is the truth, for us to be stuck on planet Earth in 2023, soon to be 2024, 
with all kinds of possible dooms in front of us and still not be told the truth about being in at least one universe that may be holographic, but that it is conscious, that this is a conscious universe and that the possibilities of interplay between our minds, our souls, and this universe may be why it is built the way it is. And we are completely cut off in many, many ways by false editing. False editing to create a classified reality. I hope that all of you who are here tonight, if, if you agree with the soul of what I'm trying to communicate, and if you agree with me, then reach out to five or ten friends and ask them to come to the Earth Files YouTube channel so that we can keep expanding beyond our quarter of a million and we can continue to be a place where trying to talk about the truth trying to talk about the fact that we are at 2023, soon to go into 2024, and a decade that people privately in government offices apparently have had information that there may be a whole hell of a lot of problems in this decade. What could be more fair than to finally introduce the tall whites officially and the Nordics, there's supposed to be nine spe specimens of them, species of them, whoever it is that's collaborating with us in the Nordics, the greys that are supposed to be, and everything that I reported tonight would explain it, the popping in and out that you can't trust greys, that they always lie, all of those things. If they are coming from a completely other dimension and they pop in and they pop out and that we have never understood that until maybe who knows the last three decades or so all of a sudden even the questions that you ask about what is the truth of the universe that we're in and what about all the other universes that are implied as Roger Penrose also would agree. God is not put into a box. God is not forced into a corner. If we are told all the truth about what is known by every classified, documented physicist, scientist, about the reality of what's going on in this universe and around us. And that we can be taught as life forms with souls, that we're in a universe that is conscious, and that if we knew how to communicate with it at all forms, we might be able to vanquish war. The tall whites are not supposed to have to even be bothered with that because they are so advanced. 
well, we're babies. And what we need more than someone telling us you can't go that direction, you can't read that, you can't look at that, you, you can't see that, that picture. Because why? Because learning real truths would make us all stronger. That's my wish. That's why I do this work. And I love all of you who have gotten us here over the last three, four years. And I would love to feel the energy coming from you to keep us going. Hopefully, that in the next year, in 2024, I know we went through this in 2023, but maybe 2024, we're going to get the headline, we're not alone, we're going to get photos of other civilizations, maybe, or something that they would allow us to see, whether it's going to be from Trappist or other systems. I know that based on other sources, uh, we know about other high civilizations. The issue is why can't we be introduced so maybe as we are getting into November and December will be the end of this year, that by January of 2024, in spite of all of the political chaos that we are going to hear throughout 2024, maybe there will be more of you all out there who are retired, who may have what you consider to be evidentiary evidence that you can share with me that my goal is to bring the strongest information that I can in the context of what this JSOC source was able to share with me and that I brought it to you in the form that I did wishing that I could have that JSOC person sitting here. So let's say the, the ultimate goal would be to have people who actually have the IDs, the information, the evidence, and that they and I can sit in front of a camera to the Earth Files YouTube channel audience and actually talk about real facts. That would be one of my goals in 2024. I agape love you guys. I feel so much for this troubled, troubled world that we are in. And some days I just want to sob. And every time I want to sob on behalf of all of the deaf, that orange light and that voice in Idaho comes into my head. You are one with the light. The light is one with you. And you are in the hands of God. Don't clamp God down. God as consciousness of universes is what it means. You are in the hands of God forever. And on that note, feel an agape hug. Everybody who's traveling to Las Vegas, stay safe. Ian, talk to you soon. I love you guys. See you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Oh, my God.